Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Luke. We're in chapter 17 today, beginning in verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Amen. You may be seated. Um, if you haven't been with us, we've been walking through uh, the unique content of Luke. What I mean by that is the content in Luke that isn't in any of the other Gospels. And so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all Gospel writers. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all very, very similar, um, but to different audiences and kind of have different focuses or foci, if you want to be appropriate in your English. Um, and so Luke has uh, a lot more content in his Gospel that aren't in Matthew and Mark um, and so that's what we're kind of journeying through um, as we are in this series called The Extent of Grace. And one of the points of Luke's gospel is to show us again and again and again how all of the people that no one thinks deserves good in their life, how Jesus is going to all those people. Um, and so Jesus is again and again talking about women and children and sinners and tax collectors uh, and like lepers in this passage here, uh, people that the, the wider religious community that Jesus is in the middle of um, typically say, well, they're probably cursed of God because they have bad things that are happening in their life. And Jesus is running to these people uh, with the declaration that the goodness of God is there for them as well. And that is, in fact, the definition of grace, that God has come for those that don't look like they deserve it at all. Um, and then that's something that's very offensive to the people who do think they deserve it. And so, therefore, we get a whole bunch of resistance, and Jesus loses his life. Um, and so in this passage, we have to pay attention to the fact that Jesus not only cleanses lepers... But among ten lepers, the standout leper, the dude that gets the accolades from Luke, the one that gets the extra attention, is a Samaritan. And if you know anything about what Luke has talked about so far, most of Jesus' audience hates Samaritans because they are the inbreeds or the crossbreeds, right? They are the ones that are a mixed race, okay? So there's racism going on. There's ethnocentricity going on. Uh, and there's also religious hierarchy going on. The, the Israelites think the Samaritans don't worship right. They don't go to church on the right day or bow down to the right temple or give the right sacrifices at the right time and so on and so forth. And so Jesus not only goes out of his way and helps these ten lepers, but also we see Luke pointing out the fact that the ideal leper in this story is one that everybody else thinks would be the loser, Right? And so we've got to pay attention to these two things. really important to look at. So uh, before we do that, I want to read um, a little bit from, or ex excuse me, I got out of place there. Uh, let's read this passage again. And then we're going to go in and look a little bit at Leviticus 13 and 14, because Leviticus is everyone's favorite book. And I know most of you probably just at some point this week were like, man, I'm really looking for something good to read you know what, Let's, I'm going to read Leviticus a little bit. And, and you know, if you're going to look for good in Leviticus, you're going to go to Leviticus 13 and read about leprous diseases, skin pusses and rashes and, 
you know, hair turning white and infectious things, right? I mean, because that's, right? So we're going to go there, Leviticus 13, in just a minute. But let me read this, and then we'll pray, because we need help if we're going to Leviticus. Here it is. Uh, Jesus cleanses ten lepers, verse 11 of Luke 17. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voice, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way, your faith has made you well. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this beautiful day. Um, We are grateful uh, for the fact that we can gather under your word. Uh, We can gather in your presence and welcome your truth to come and invade um, the the doubts and the fears, the skepticism and the lies that are uh, abundant, not only in this world, but also in our hearts. Yeah, we don't pray that and say that with some sort of self-condemning voice. We pray that and say that with a hope, uh, a hope that you would point us to something that is so much more life-giving than this world has, so much more life-giving than we have by ourselves, um, so much more life-giving than religion, um, than any temptation towards sin or any burden of, uh, of religion in our lives and uh, we look to you today to help us clearly see Jesus and hear the gospel and the story of these ten lepers, um, that you would, uh, for a moment, turn our ears uh, and open them to hear what you have to say to us. Help us to, with eyes of faith, see rightly, see the world rightly, see ourselves rightly, even see God rightly, um, that we might respond like this Samaritan leper does, um, respond in praise and worship to Jesus, who is our healer, he is our savior. Uh, He is our great high priest, and uh, he is the hope of all of our lives. Um, So we thank you. Show us true faith this day, and um, interrupt our own um, ideas of what is right and wrong, and and insert your true way um, that we might really uh, be transformed into the likeness of Christ. Uh, We need your help, sweet spirit, for this to all happen. We cannot see these things on our own, so we welcome you to come to help us see Jesus. the worship at his feet this morning. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so um, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Jesus is, uh, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. So he was in Galilee, ministering mostly up north in the kingdom. Uh, and then at a, a very point, uh, specific point, uh, Luke chapter 11, Luke says Jesus starts intentionally heading to Jerusalem, and we get that repeated three different times. He says it in Luke 11. I think he says it in Luke Uh, 13, and then he says it here again in Luke 17. So there's just this uh, growing awareness that Jesus is nearing Jerusalem, and, you know, fortunately for most of us, we know the end of the book, right? We know the end of Luke. Uh, We know what happens in Jerusalem, so we know that Jesus is on his mission. Um, He's heading to go to Jerusalem to finally be um, crucified in our place, to die for the sins of mankind, um, to rise again from death and to uh, conquer sin and death and to reign victoriously in life. And so we know um, the, the, clo- the closer and closer we get to Jerusalem, the more and more there is kind of riding on every word that Jesus says, the more there is kind of uh, 
pending in these, in these actions and in these interactions. They're, they're pointing toward something that's about to happen in Jerusalem. Okay, and today, as we look back at Leviticus, it's amazing, this intersection of the book of Leviticus, a healed leper, and then the pending crucifixion in Jerusalem, and how that all works together to show us what is real faith, right? What is real faith? What is true faith? And what does it mean for us um, as we do that to follow Jesus? So, in order to do that, we're going to back up into Leviticus. Like I said, everybody's favorite, right? So, Leviticus 13 and 14 are rules about uh, infectious skin diseases. Now, this is all kind of creepy and weird until you understand why these rules are given to Israel, right? And, and the reason these rules are given to Israel, super fast flyby, is that they are pulled into the presence of a perfect and holy God who has no flaw, who has no uh, brokenness in him, uh, who is utterly clean and utterly pure. Um, his holiness is actually unapproachable to anything that is stained by sin, okay? And so um, this is like, imagine the court of a king, right? And, and in the court of the king, you dare not enter into that court unless you're dressed appropriately, right? Unless you've been scheduled to be there, got some sort of an invite from the king, either to come to a party or to a court hearing or something. There, there's, there's just a, an air about the king that you dare not invade without the proper ceremony because there's something about his royalty that elevates everything around him. It's similar. God is so separate from us, uh, and he shows with these laws to Israel that there are, there are stains on us, that human beings have flaws and brokennesses, and that all of those things reveal the deepest flaw, and that is that we are, we are sinful, right? That in us there is a bent toward rebellion against God. There is a, a, a tendency to follow the, the will of the self over the will of God. There is a, a, a proclivity towards harming others, right, towards wounding our neighbors and our friends, uh, towards breaking the earth that we live in, uh, towards mucking up all sorts of everything in us, and none of that tendency, none of those realities abide in God. He is always pure and perfect in everything that he does. And so these laws help the Israelites to see the depth of human brokenness. Right? And it goes all the way down to when you have a rash. Right? Like the Hebrew word in Leviticus 13 isn't actually translated directly into leprosy. It's basically a general term for skin diseases. Right? And so this idea for the people of Israel is to understand that when they see just the smallest of blemish on their body, it's a reminder of how perfectly holy God is and how far away we are from that perfect holiness. Okay? And then the institution of the laws given to Israel for cleansing, for separation from the community, for the proper handling of food and clothes and all this type of stuff, it's all given to Israel so that they might understand you don't just simply waltz in to the holiness of God. Otherwise, you'll die. That's how utterly perfect and pure the holiness of God is. And so these laws and these rules are given to Israel so that they might understand how serious it is to be flawed, right? But then also to see that God, in his grace, is always giving a way for us to come to him, even though we are flawed, right? So he's giving us these sacrifices that we might be cleansed through the blood of animals. Are we really cleansed by animal blood? No, we're not really cleansed by animal blood. It's all a symbol. And the symbol is you need something to wash away the death in you, right? And what is it that washes away the death in you? The death in something else. 
That's all a foretaste of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, that his blood shed on the cross is the thing that we need to cleanse us of all our filth and all our disease, right? And so leprosy in the New Testament is just a, I mean, it's a, a, an eye-popping, just alarm-sounding off to the people of Israel. This is what it means to be broken and, 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 and kind of defiled before God, and there is There is a God who wants us to come to him, and he's made a way for us to come to him. And in Jesus, ultimately, perfectly, and finally, he makes the only way to come to him, to be cleansed, to be healed, to be forgiven, and to be accepted into the presence of the king, what have you. And so in Leviticus 13, there's a bunch of words. I mean, it's like fall asleep reading type stuff, if I'm honest, right? It's just like, you know, you're kind of like, yeah. It's just like this weird, like, read it with a, a big cup of coffee, you know, when the sun is bright high in the sky. If you try to read it by candlelight, you'll surely fall asleep. Um, but in all of this, we just see the, the intensity of how serious all this is and how God looks at it. And one of the most poignant situations, one of the most powerful reminders here uh, in this whole thing, Leviticus 13, 45 and 46 I know you probably have these verses underlined in your Bible. It says, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. I mean, ugh. Talk about just ostracization, is that even a word, just being pushed out because of this disease, right? There's a lot of these things are the same things that people did when they were mourning the death of somebody close to them. They would tear their clothes, they would not oil their face, which is ladies' makeup, right? They wouldn't do their hair, they would just sackcloth and ashes. They would mourn and they would wail, Right? It, was, it was a very similar type of behavior. And so we see in just the prescription of how they should live, it's basically pointing to the fact that they're, they're as good as dead. According to the, the structure of the society of Israel, they're as good as dead. They don't get to come into the community anymore. Right? When you have the barbecue and you, invite, you send the invites out to your, your friends, it gets to the house of the leper, and guess who misses the invite? The leper, he doesn't come to the barbecue. He doesn't get invited into the celebrations of life. When church doors open and the songs begin to be sung and the priests get up and read the Torah, guess who's not there? The leper. They're outside the camp. They can't come in. On the Day of Atonement, the great day of sacrifice, when all the people gather together to see the cows and the lambs and all these different animals uh, sacrificed and the great uh, celebration go up where the people of Israel celebrate, God has forgiven our sins at last. Right? Everything is washed away. We are made new. Guess who's not there? The leper. They're not a part of any of that because of the skin disease that's in them. It points so much to the reality of our internal spiritual death, the reality of our sin, that it separates us from others, that it puts us outside of the community of faith, that it pulls us away from the presence of God. In so many ways, it pushes us into isolation. Right? And we recognize this. So much of our sin is bent in on the self. It pulls us away from love. It pulls us away from sincere communion and fellowship with others. We have to go hide because of shame, right? We have to go hide because of fear. What what if they find out and what will they say? 
right? All of this is a spiritual reality, and leprosy points to this in such a poignant way. And so in this story in Luke chapter 17, all these laws are still being followed, okay? Jesus is nearing Jerusalem, okay? So the more and closer and closer he's getting to Jerusalem, the more and more you're seeing these laws as kind of the dominant culture that the people live in. And so these lepers, Jesus comes into a town, and guess where the lepers are? They're outside, right? They're outside. That's why they have to call, hey, Jesus, right? They call from outside, have mercy on us. We can't come in there. We dare not walk through the gates of the town and receive mercy from you. We, we need you. We're out here, right? This is an isolated community of lepers, and it's really Curious to see that there's 10 lepers here. Now, we don't get a whole lot of detail other than there are 10, and then there's a separation of one, right? So we know there's 10 lepers. They're all, what would happen if you were a leper, you would go outside the colony, you couldn't be within the city walls or whatever. Typically, you would find the other lepers, and then you'd hang out together, right? Because misery loves company, of course. But even more so, catch this. These are Jewish lepers and there's at least one Samaritan leper. That's all we know. More than likely, it's nine Jewish lepers and one Samaritan leper. Okay? More than likely. The reason I know there's Jewish lepers is because Jesus says go to the priests. You don't go to the priest for leprosy cleansing unless you're a Jew. So I'm guessing it's nine Jewish lepers and one Samaritan leper. This is not a party of ten that should ever get a reservation at a table together. Like, these guys don't belong together. We've already seen this in Luke's Gospel, that Samaritans and Jews don't hang out, right? But when you're isolated, when you're in sin, when you're lonely, when you're on the outside of the community, I don't care. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your ethnicity is. I don't care what your religion is. I just need company, right? I mean, how true is this of just our world, right? And how true is this of the church in our world, right? People that think, I don't belong there, meaning in the community of faith, I can't go close to them, I can't be exposed to that people, where do they go? They go outside, and what do they find out there? Welcome. Community. With the other people who feel that they're pushed out, right? I mean, this is a a, a strong reminder of what happens when you're told you can't approach God anymore like that. Right? That's what these Jewish laws did to the lepers, and often that's what our religious stuff does to people who are in sin. Because let's be honest, we're sinning too. We're just sinning differently than them, or they're sinning differently than us, and so they meet one of our lists about the extra bad type of sin, and we make sure that they're outside of the community. But what do they find outside of the community? Friendship, love, acceptance. They find the people that don't care about religion, don't care about skin color, don't care about history and background. What, you're one of me? You have the hang-up that I have? Let's, let's find community together, right? Just a small little warning in this little bitty part of the story. Let's be careful, the people that we push outside. Lest they find more friendship far away from Jesus than they find here close to Jesus. Right? And it's also a reminder that we're all lepers 
Who cares if it's a Jewish leper or a Samaritan leper, right? Who cares if it's a white person or a black person or a woman or a man or an older person or a younger person or a Democrat or a Republican or a Macintosh or an Apple user? Who cares if it's an athlete or an artist? Who cares? Let's come near to Jesus. Let's welcome all and bring them into this family. And so we dig in here to this story of Luke telling the cleansed lepers journey toward Jesus. And this story finds itself right in the middle of some other lessons in Luke 17 where Jesus is teaching about faith. And really this is one of the dangers of just pulling Luke's unique content and not attaching it to the other stuff. So just briefly we need to attach our passage into the rest of Luke chapter 17. If you look at it in your Bible, the beginning part, Jesus is talking about stumbling blocks. Okay, uh, In my trans- translation it says temptations to sin, but then it has a footnote and talks about stumbling blocks. And I think stumbling blocks is really the better, uh, the better translation to go with. Jesus is talking about people who are given obstacles in faith, especially small ones that are given obstacles to faith, small ones who want to come and approach Jesus, yet other people put stumbling blocks in front of them and say, no, 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 you got to do this and this, and then you can come to Jesus, and Jesus warns, it's better for you to drown in the sea with a rock tied to your neck than for you to put a stumbling block in front of somebody. Don't get in between someone and their faith, Jesus is trying to say. If they want to come to me, don't you dare put an obstacle there that I have not put there. There is one great obstacle, and that obstacle is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you must own the fact that you are a rebellious sinner who decided to be their own God rather than worship the true God. That's obviously an obstacle, but it should be the only obstacle. You must have faith and believe and come to Christ alone through faith alone because he's alone the one who's given you grace. That's the obstacle. Don't you dare put an obstacle of dress and outfit and background and history and this kind of sin or that kind of sin. We dare not put those obstacles in front of anybody, Jesus says. And Jesus also says that we ought to be the kind of people who forgive, the kind of people who forgive somebody even if they come to us and ask for forgiveness for the same sin seven times in one day. Right? Anybody do that this week? Same sin, forgiven, seven times in one day. All the married folks are laughing like crazy. Same sin, forgiven, seven times in one day. Right? Jesus says, that's what I'm talking about. That's how you do not put stumbling blocks in front of people. You make sure that they are totally forgiven. Otherwise, you're putting a stumbling block in front of their lives. And he also points out that if somebody does sin and you know about it, you should go to them gently, graciously, and bring their sin to them and then offer them the forgiveness of Jesus. And after Jesus gives this instruction, the disciples say, holy cow, we need big faith, Jesus. That's their response, right? They say, increase our faith, Jesus. How in the world am I supposed to not put religious stumbling blocks in front of people? How in the world am I supposed to approach my brother in his sin and try to point him back to Jesus? How in the world am I supposed to forgive somebody seven times for the same sin in one day? How in the world, God, I must need big faith? And Jesus responds and said, no, you don't need big faith. You need little faith. Faith the size of a mustard seed. That's Jesus' way of saying the smallest possible thing that you know of. Okay? Jesus was here today. He would talk about faith the size of a split atom. 
disciples didn't know what a split atom was, so Jesus went with mustard seed. Okay, it's not about the mustard seed. It's about the smallest possible thing you can imagine. He's saying you need tiny, tiny, tiny faith. And then what does he say? He says, if you have tiny, tiny, tiny faith, faith the size of a split atom, I tell you, you can tell this tree to uproot itself and go fly into the ocean. Right? Just this last week, we were on an uh, airboat tour down the Everglades. Our airboat guy stopped the boat. Well, he stopped it, and it was raining on us, so then he moved, and then he stopped it because it stopped raining. So and we were sitting here in the middle of the mangroves, right? They're growing up all around us. And he said, you know, where we sit just last year, uh, this would have had an entire canopy over it, you know, but uh, the hurricane came and, you know, tore down a lot of these mangroves. But he's telling the story to a bunch of Minnesotans about what uh, these uh, mangroves are, and he was talking about their root system, and he said the root system, you know, you guys know, they drop the seeds down and start new systems and continue to grow out. And all the, the fingers, you know, the, the, I guess the Native Americans used to call them the walking tree because they just they keep spreading out and moving. Um, and he said that the root system of the mangroves is more uh, intense and bigger than the leaves that you see above, right? And so Jesus is basically telling the disciples, if you have tiny, tiny, tiny faith, then you can tell a mangrove group to lift up out of the Everglades and be tossed into the Atlantic. Like, it's an impossible thing. He said, the, the tour guide, he said, you couldn't lift this stuff with a crane. You couldn't move these trees with a crane. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. When he talks about the tree to the disciples, he's not giving them a test of faith to go try out next time. They're out in the forest and to try to move a tree. You know, like Jedi mind tricks. Little faith do you have, right? Like, he's not Yoda, he's Jesus. And so he's telling them, if you have little, 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 little faith, the right kind of little, 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 little faith, these impossible tasks to you will be possible. The forgiveness of others, the confrontation of sin, and the not placing stumbling blocks in front of other people. So with all of that information, then Luke moves on to this story about these ten lepers and helps us to see what the connection is between these two situations. And so we see in the story that the, the lepers are outside the town. They call out to Jesus, and what does Jesus say to them? He says, go show yourself to the priest, which seems really weird, right? Like a couple years ago, we were in Mark, and Jesus healed a leper. He touched him, and he was clean. And he said, all right, now go show yourself to the priests because you're clean, and don't tell anybody what I just did right? Uh, this situation, Jesus doesn't go to them. He just calls back. You know, they're like, Marco, he's Polo, and he just, go. Go show yourself to the priests. And along the way, what happens? They're cleansed, right? And so in, in some manner, there's, there's a little bit of response of hope in these lepers where they're like, oh, we're going to the priests. We know what that means. We're lepers in a Jewish community we get it, when you're finally healed of leprosy, you go back to the priest and they verify your healing so that you can be welcomed back into the community. Okay, we get it, we're going to be healed, right? They, they have this hope, they're like, something's going on, and so they begin to journey back uh, to see a priest. Now, if you were a leper and you were healed, you would have to go back to the priest, you would have to be inspected by the priest outside the camp, right? Because you can't come in yet, you're still unclean. You have to be inspected by the priest outside the camp. The, weird, right? The priest is going to 
check your skin, <laughs> make sure you're clean, interesting, right? And then some people are going to bring some birds over um, with hyssop and uh, some, uh, some other stuff, I forget, water and wood and hyssop, um, and they're going to have a little cleansing ceremony, um, and it's really interesting, they're going to they have two birds, they're going to kill one bird, they're going to sprinkle stuff with the blood, and then they're going to dip the other bird in the sprinkle stuff, and then they're going to let the bird fly away, right? And all this is symbolism to say, you've been washed, and now your sin is gone, right? So one bird dies, you've been cleansed, and another bird flies away, okay? So your leprosy is cleansed, right? And then after that, you would um, have to shave and bathe and wash your clothes, and then you could come back into the camp, but you couldn't sleep in your tent yet. No. So you had to wait. So you came in, but not yet. So it was already, but not yet. Crazy thing going on. Then seven days later, you would shave again. I don't know. Bathe and then wash your clothes. And then after that, they would do a sin offering, a burnt offering, and a grain offering. And finally, atonement would have been made. And the leper would now be cleansed or declared clean. In Leviticus 14.20 it says, And the priest shall offer the burnt offering, the grain offering on the altar, and the priest shall make atonement for him, and he shall be clean. So the lepers know, all right, back to the priests, and we got about two weeks of work to do. Shaving, bathing, cleaning, sacrifice, in the camp, outside the tent, in the camp, in the tent, declared, right? There's a lot that has to happen still. And on the way, when they realize they've been cleansed, the Samaritan stops. The Samaritan stops. In front of him is two weeks' worth of work. Behind him is the Savior. He says, I don't need to go there. I need to go there. About face. Turns around. Runs hollering back to Jesus. Praising God that he's been cleansed. And he falls at the feet of Jesus. And he worships Jesus. While nine others continue forward to do all of the ceremonious duty. The Samaritan leper simply returned to the source of his healing and worshipped Jesus for the cleansing. And this was commended by Jesus as faith. Jesus said of the Samaritan leper, your faith has saved you or healed you. Right? Now, were the other ones healed? Yeah. Jesus said, we're not all ten cleansed? He's like, what the deal? Didn't everybody get healed? They all were healed. But Jesus commended the Samaritan because he had faith. Why? Why is that faith? And why is what the Jewish, Samarit or the Jewish lepers did not faith? Well, look. The Jewish lepers returned to Mosaic law to confirm healing to offer sacrifices, and to re receive the restorative declaration of clean from a priest. Whereas the Samaritan leper returns to Jesus to worship God and is then sent along his way, saved and free. 
So this Samaritan leper does not think I've got more things to do in order to be what I'm really, a full human again. The Samaritan leper does not think, okay, there are more hoops to jump through, there's more stuff to be accomplished, I've got to finish the work, and then I can be totally clean. He recognized this is the invasion of a whole new covenant, right? A a separation of history where Jesus is saying, the law is fulfilled through my actions, You don't have to do that stuff anymore. You don't have to do all that ceremonial cleansing stuff because I'm on my way to Jerusalem. I'm about to shed my blood to be offered as a sacrificial lamb and there will never be need for a sacrifice again. Jesus is on the door of Jerusalem ready to go in and the story of the leper helps us to see Jesus does all the work. Jesus does all the work. And we pull this into our life today and we realize, man, when when I come to Christ in faith, I don't have to go running back to religion to figure out how to keep myself all neat and tidy and clean. I don't have to go to the do's and the do nots. I don't have to obtain to all these lists. I am by faith clean in Jesus and I can live new now. I don't have to go fix stuff first and then live new. I'm fixed now. Jesus has declared me as clean. This glorious reality that the Samaritan, I don't even know if you quite realize it, but the Samaritan actually returned to the true priest. The Samaritan went to Jesus. Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the great high priest. Hebrews 5, 7 through 10, it says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God as a high priest. The Jewish leopards went back to the temple to see the priests. The Samaritan leper went back to Jesus, the true priest, the only one who could truly, perfectly, and finally declare him clean. And he didn't return to a whole list of things that had not yet been finished. He returned to the one that declared upon the cross, it is finished. The work is over. You're cleansed and you're made well. Those last few words of Luke 17, 19 are the same words that mean saved. This leper, the Samaritan leper, received not only physical healing and restoration, but spiritual healing and restoration. He was not only restored to a community of Jews, he was restored to a new kingdom that Jesus was initiating. A kingdom that was his because of action and deed? No. Because of breed and heritage? No. Because of Christ. Because of faith. And that's why this story is about faith and it belongs with the wrestling match that the disciples are going through. Jesus, give us more faith. Jesus, give us more faith. And Jesus says, no, if you just have a little faith. Because faith isn't returning to our old system of religion to confirm what Jesus has done enough through our religious deeds of sacrifice and cleansing, faith is returning to worship Jesus, affirming Him as the source and the sustainer of our healing. Thanking Him for His sacrifice of grace for us and then being sent on our way by Him as healed and as saved and as free. And this kind of faith, faith that rests in Jesus, is is not the same kind of faith that rests in religion. This is faith that trusts Jesus in his work, not us in our work. 
right? This is faith that looks to his righteousness as the source of our cleansing, not our own filthy self-righteousness. It's this kind of faith that then removes burdens, both from our shoulders and from the shoulders of those whom we are likely to place burdens upon. And that's how we reverse to the beginning of Luke 17. Faith is not putting a stumbling block in front of somebody else. Faith is telling somebody about their sin and leading them back to Jesus. Faith is forgiving a brother or sister seven times for the same sin in one day. If you have faith in you, there's no chance you're doing any of those things. If you have faith in religion, there's no chance you're doing any of those things. Because faith in religion is the very thing that puts burdens on front of people. Right? If you are trusting in your goodness and somebody decides to come to Jesus with all of their badness, what are you going to do? You're going to put one of your giant goodness deeds in front of them and say, you better do this thing, and then you can come to Jesus. Because I don't that stuff. And I'm done with that filth. And Jesus has delivered me from that kind of sin. And I'm over here in the clean community, and you're a leper. All of this is wrapped up in faith in self. And it's gross to Jesus. He says, true faith is faith in me. How do you know Jesus? Mercy. Sheer grace, believe me. It's the only way I found him, and that's the only way I still know him. Sheer grace, right? You get into this head, you get into this heart, you get into some of my inner workings, and you know very clearly it is faith, it is grace, and that's it, right? I don't stand, I don't stand on the good things I've done. And as soon as I do, man, God is gracious to rip that rug and send me to the floor so I crack my skull on the ground and wake up. If you have faith in you, then you're going to put stumbling blocks in front of other people. Suddenly the call to faith is not going to be come to Jesus however you are. The the call of faith is going to be come to Jesus kind of like me. That's, That's oppression. It's religious oppression. And if you have faith in you, there's no way you can forgive somebody seven times for the same sin all in one day. Why? Because your faith in you has something to do with how you do better when you're confronted with sin. Well, I'm, I, you know, I mean, I know that I'm, but I'm not, right? You can't offer seven time forgiveness in one day if you've got that kind of an attitude. Right? This is what our conversations are filled with. Let's just be honest. They did. I didn't, but they did. Hmm. How many times are you supposed to forgive them? Seven for that same thing in one day. Faith in you will not allow you to give true forgiveness. So you don't need more of the kind of faith that you already have, which is faith in you or faith in your religion or faith in being good, or faith in being at least a little better than somebody else. You need just a little bit of faith, the real faith, the real faith that says Jesus alone has accomplished this for me. Jesus, by his grace alone, has called me his own. Jesus still to this day is owning me, even though I still fall far short of the glory of God. My faith is not in 
Myself, we say, my faith is in Jesus. And so if you have a little faith placed in the right thing, in Jesus, you can pull out those stumbling blocks and offer forgiveness upon forgiveness upon forgiveness and tell people about their sin without judgment but with desire for restoration. You can actually do that when your faith is small in the great work of Jesus. That's the call. That's the response. Don't go back to your religion. Don't go back to your work to cleanse yourself. Return only to Jesus. He's the healer. He's the savior. He's the high priest. He's the cleanser. And when your faith is in him, you do do not need to look to yourself. You'll truly be free to say, Jesus has cleansed me because of his great love and grace. And then you can declare to others, and he's all you need too. He's literally all you need. Just go to Jesus. I don't want to put anything in your way. Amen? So let us all go to him this morning for true healing, for the cleansing of our sins. And may we be the kind of people who welcome anyone that suffers from any kind of sin and brokenness. May we display our faith in Jesus more than our faith in ourselves. And may we be burden relievers and sin forgivers. May we worship God in thankfulness for all that he's done for us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thanks for your grace to pull us in to call us yours, to welcome us with our flaws, with, our, with our, our skin diseases, with our blemishes, with the stains on our souls. You, you welcome us in and you, you, you clearly purify us through the work of Jesus and Jesus alone. He is our great high priest. He is the one who sacrificed for our sins. He is the one who willingly gave of his own life that we might truly have life. May we come to what is real faith. And that is the full and finished work of Jesus, which can bring the full and finished healing of our souls so that we might be the kind of people who offer the full and finished good news message to others without stumbling blocks and without unforgiveness and without judgment toward anyone. Might we be the kind of people whose faith is built on the right one, on Christ and Christ alone, so that you might make us the people who welcome the lepers, who welcome the little ones, who welcome the sinners, who welcome the fill-in-the-blank, whatever kind of person that we think is out of the reach of grace, God, would you arrest that mindset, tackle it to the ground, and rid it from our lives? There is no type of person who cannot be cleansed and healed and saved by Jesus. Not a Samaritan, not a leper, not an outsider, no one is beyond your reach, Jesus. We worship you for this because once we thought maybe we too were out of your reach, <laughs> and you've saved us. And God, if there's any here who feel right now they're out of your reach, God, would you reach, surprise them with your grace. Show them your great love. Captivate their heart by your Holy Spirit and give them new life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.